Hello, and welcome to Humanities Matter, brought to you by Brill. I am Emily Tampkin, and this week we will be looking at key issues in the field of humanities. Hello, today I am speaking with Giles Scott-Smith. He is a professor of diplomatic history at Leiden. And uh, Dr. Scott-Smith is one of the co-editors of Diplomatica, which is on a new journal on diplomacy. Uh, the journal covers a, a truly wide range of subjects, um, history, social science, past and present, but one subject to which it devotes a few articles is Brexit, um, which is obviously a, well, it's fascinating for many reasons, but certainly the diplomatic implications are, are one um, sort of compelling thing about it. Um, so Dr. Scott Smith, if we could start out looking specifically at, at Brexit, do you think that for the United Kingdom and the European Union, if Britain leaves the EU, um, you know, so much about this has seemed undiplomatic, right? From, from tweets from European leaders to uh, the new prime minister of um, uh, uh, Boris Johnson sort of, you know, we're just going to demand a better deal. Um, it, can diplomacy sort of help show, help maintain civility between Britain and the European Union? Uh, absolutely, and and I, I sincerely hope it will. I mean, I think um, Boris Johnson now, of course, is assembling his his cabinet. Um, to be honest, at this moment in time, I don't know um, if Jeremy Hunt will continue as foreign uh, foreign minister or if someone else will be selected. But clearly, taking um, Britain forward. Uh, as we look towards uh, a situation where a deal is is imminent, um, I think diplomacy is going to to be in increasingly important. I mean, we know that the Foreign and Com Commonwealth Office has increased its personnel around capitals within the EU, uh, a definite sign that uh, everyone knows that um, a deal does not mean uh, the end of complexity and the end of problems. Quite the opposite. It's going to mean all hands on deck to make whatever this deal might be actually function. So I think diplomacy is, is actually going to increase in, in importance in the, the coming, especially the, the coming couple of years where we are in completely unknown territory. This is the first time a nation has left the EU. Um, and uh, it's quite clear from both sides, whatever the rhetoric and whatever sometimes the uh, overheated language that is used, um, neither side can do without the other. Uh, they both have to work closely together for their, for their mutual benefit and, and um, diplomacy is going to be crucial for that. Um, I'd like to ask you uh, specifically about some of these articles. Um, the first that, that caught my eye is, um, it's by Anne Dayton, am I saying that correctly? Yes, that's right. Um, so Anne Dayton, writes that the EU is, is terra incognita for diplomats. Can you explain a bit what, what that means? Yes, uh, what Anne is writing about here um, is the fact that, that basically no country has left the EU. Uh, the EU has gone through a whole process of, of enlargement since, um, since 1973, basically. And that uh, the whole process of uh, disentangling a nation state from a very complex um, set of EU institutions and regulations has never been done before. Mm -hmm. So there's no diplomatic experience in um, leading a clear path through that process. And, and that's really what, what her terra incognita comment is, is all about. 
Um, and we're certainly not there yet. I mean, it's, it's, uh, we still don't know what's going to happen. This has been the story of the last three years. So, um, yeah, as related to the, to the previous comment, um, diplomacy is going to become more and more important. And I, and I would like to add one thing very important about this is that um, there can sometimes be a, a sense that uh, Britain has never been in the EU as if the, the impact of being in the European institutions since 1973 has had uh, absolutely no impact whatsoever on British opinion. Now, I think it's important to realise there's a separation here um, between the body politic of Britain and the diplomacy of Britain. In the body politic of Britain, it's quite clear over the last um, decade or so, certainly since the Blair-Brown governments of the 90s, early 2000s, is that there's, there's almost no political capital um, to be gained from being pro-European Union. Uh -huh. And this is a really sad reflection on British politics, but it's true. So the, this has escalated and escalated, the UKIP, Brexit Party, etc. On the diplomacy side, there you do have a crowd who have worked within Europe over many, many years. They've probably circled around different departments in the Foreign Office, been appointed to different embassies around Europe. They know a tremendous amount about it. Those people are largely behind the scenes. They are going to be increasingly important as Britain does move into a post-EU phase. And there's no um, sense, I think, amongst that crowd of an, a kind of an, an increasing uh, anti-EU sentiment, quite the opposite. So I think the two elements of, of uh, what Britain is and where it's going to go are, are going to be increasingly important. Well, one way in which that might be true, because um, I, I agree with you, we haven't really heard from the diplomats in part by design, in part because this has been so guided by politics, but one way right. in which we're going to need to see, uh, or we may see disentangling, we may not, is between the EU and NATO, right? The EU, obviously, there's some talk about building up European defense, but so much of that has been left to NATO and, you know, by extension, the United States. Um, there are British diplomats who come to Washington and say, you know, uh, without, without the, uh, the United Kingdom and the United States, some like tiny percentage is paid for a percent of defense is paid for by the EU, right? So how, how and this is also addressed in the journal, but I was hoping that you could speak a bit about um, Brexit's impact on the EU-NATO relationship. Yeah, that, that's a very big one. And, and I think um, you're absolutely right that Britain has occupied a very important position. Um, one might say the kind of Atlantic bridge, the, the closest partner to the United States over many years. And at the same time, um, uh, the, par the partner within the EU, without uh, within the EU, without whom no credible European defence uh, infrastructure or capability can be built. So, um, and Britain has been very careful in in maintaining both paths to make sure that it doesn't clash, uh, that that its EU interests don't clash with its NATO interests. Um, I think at the end of the day, NATO has always been primary. Uh, for for the UK, um, obviously the special relationship, so-called special relationship, maybe we should say these days, uh, with the US has been fundamental, and that the Britain has always been very careful not to push um, European integration in in defence and security affairs in a way that would conflict with um, its NATO commitments. Um, what we're seeing uh, now is with with Brexit looming 
is how Britain is going to try and continue that, that key central role. Um, and that really comes down to the kind of uh, agreements that are going to be made in terms of information sharing, uh, joint projects, um, to what extent the EU is willing to uh, keep its, its close relationship with Britain. And there have been signs that, that there could be more of a stronger break than, than those in Britain were anticipating. Um, the Galileo satellite um, excluding Britain in the future was, was, um, was something of a surprise from the British perspective. So um, it could be that uh, in the sh medium to longer term that, that NATO actually takes on a greater importance for Britain. Having said that, Britain can't afford on a whole, a whole array of security issues. It can't afford a hard break with the EU. There's no way. So, um, yeah, there's going to have to be some serious negotiation there. Well, the other side of that, right, is that there have been some in British politics who have said, well, you know, we'll break with the EU, but we're going to get closer to the, even closer to the United States. As you said, um, the closest partner in the EU to the United States is the UK. Um, but that, and this is also addressed in the journal, we've really seen that tested over the past three years, right? So, you know, there's been talk about this US-UK uh, trade deal. I don't know if watching other trade negotiations with the United States in the Trump administration, that's still as appealing to the people who sort of touted it in the first place. Um, you know, there's uh, certainly Trump's tweets about Theresa May speaking about going, you know, speaking about um, things that are maybe not so diplomatic. Um, it, it's been it's been sort of tested the special relationship. Um, how how does break how do you see Brexit as playing into this or as impacting it rather? Um, will you know, will to borrow from love actually the special relationship be even more special or are we going to see it um, bend if not break under the pressure of Brexit? Yes, I mean, there are certainly elements in the current Conservative Party who would, um, would be delighted uh, if, if Brexit could be turned into a closer US-UK alliance. I mean, there's, there's always been a, uh, a right wing of the, the Tory party who um, regard the, you know, the Anglo-American uh, alliance uh, is not simply security, but you know, cultural ties, language, that they both share a century-long purpose in maintaining global order, um, that when it comes down to it, they're the only powers who are prepared to, to back up that global order. And, and I think there was definitely a, a sense among some of that crowd that, yeah, this is the moment. This, this is, you know, no more baggage from the EU. Um, now, now we can finally kind of uh, create the kind of Anglo-American alliance that we we're always destined to have. And, and I think they are heading for a very, very cold shower. Um, mm -hmm. I, I do fear that, the, as you say, the, the initial signs um, under Theresa May was, was that, sure, Trump has no particular love for the European Union, but neither, he's got no patience, with all respect, and he simply didn't understand uh, didn't want to know about the complexities of the Brexit negotiations, didn't understand the pressures that Theresa May was under to try and get some kind of deal, not only in Brussels, but through Westminster as well, and and had no no sympathy when that failed. Now, is is that going to change with Boris Johnson? Well, um, yes, the, the Twitter feeds tell us that there, there might be some hope um, that these two people seem to regard each other with, with a certain amount of respect. Um, that um, maybe Boris Johnson is going to, to push the right buttons 
uh, in terms of saying, okay, hard Brexit and and then onward into a global Britain, that, that is exactly what um, the Trump and the Trump administration might, you know, might warm to. At the same time, um, yes, I mean, the Trump administration, it's America first. It's, it's any deal that they strike is going to be to the benefit of the United States. There is no sentiment there of a special relationship. I really don't think so. I, I, and I think... Um, the, you know, the foundations that the right wing of the Tory party would love now to, to realize in terms of uh, Anglo-American relations, I don't think are reciprocated on, on the other side in Washington. So it's going to be, be hard-nosed, um, interests-only type negotiation, and they'll put a lot of well-meaning rhetoric on top. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I would be very uh, realistic slash pessimistic about what the outcome will be. On that, and before I before I let you go, I think there are some who would look at you know we have Trump, there's Boris Johnson, uh, there's you know Brexit means Brexit, and sort of diplomacy is behind us in this. Um, you know Brexit is not diplomatic, and neither are the leaders. And diplomacy is that's that sort of the last decade song, right? But listening to you today, it sounds like really the role of I mean, correct me if I'm misinterpreting, but it sounds like this is where you need diplomacy and you need diplomats to come in and do the hard day-to-day -day work that will sort of um, see these different countries and partners through what at first glance might look like a, a deeply undiplomatic time. Yeah, I, I would fundamentally agree with that. I think the, the danger now as we move into an increasing era of political you know, nationalist populism um, short-termism, the inward-lookingness, the, the sense that the international or the global is, is only a threat and, and only an arena where you can lose or, or win uh, rather than building long-term relationships. I think all of that is, is fundamentally um, clashing with the, the purpose of diplomacy itself, which is to try and keep this disparate, varied, often antagonistic um, globe of nation states together in some kind of ragtag of norms and regulations and institutions that mean we can all work together. And, and if, you, if you take that diplomacy out, uh, yeah, the system would really grind to a halt and then we'd really know um, what the value of diplomacy uh, truly is. So, so I think, uh, yeah, so when we've been discussing Brexit, we've been discussing a, a whole new era of uh, transatlantic relations, uh, intra-European relations, um, and we still don't know what the outcome is going to be. And I think in, in this era, surprisingly enough, I think diplomacy is, is going to be more and more important. It may often be put to one side and, and regarded as, as just simply passe and something that um, uh, gentlemen and old school ties uh, and, and gentlemen's clubs um, would, would, uh, would be part of, but basically, um, we need those people and we may not always hear about what they're up to, but uh, I think a lot of it is, is trying to hold, uh, you know, keep this uh, quite crazy diverse world together and uh, good luck to them from my opinion. Um, I have been speaking with Giles Scott Smith, a professor of diplomatic history at Leiden and co-editor of a new journal on diplomacy called Diplomatica. Dr. Scott Smith, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure. The article we discussed today is freely accessible for a limited time in the journal Diplomatica.